in our series on church planting, one of the passages that we studied was the passage that that song is really written from, from Revelation. That we believe God has sent his church to make disciples of every people, tribe, and tongue. Matt, thank you for leading us in that song, and thanks for stilling my thunder. Today we're sharing who is going and where they're going, and if you listened uh, in his prayer, he already gave you the who. Uh, and <laughs> uh, we're, we're really grateful to have Ryan, who is going to be heading out for us. But before we get into, into all of that, um, I do want to say happy Mother's Day. Uh, we are thankful for mothers. Uh, I think about the influence of our moms in our lives, and maybe not even specifically your mom, but the the mothers in your lives who have been so influential and have led us so well. I, I for one, am very grateful for, for my own mother and for my mother-in-law who's here and for my grandmothers and for my wife. I just am, have been very blessed by that. But in my own life, and probably like many of you, I think about all of my friends' moms who have invested so well in my, in my life. And so it's right that we have a day to celebrate that, and it's right that we don't limit it to that day, <laughs> that we should be celebrating these women all the way around. And so that's, I want to encourage you to keep this posture of gratitude for your mom every day and for mothers every day. But for some of us in this room, Mother's Day isn't just a day of celebration. It's, it's mixed with mourning, and we, we recognize that. And I, w- I want you to know and hear from me, not that you need my permission, but it's okay for this day to be difficult. Some of you have lost your mom. Some of you are mother, who have mothers who, um, because of your mother, this is a hard day to celebrate. And some of you desire to be a mother. Some of you are mothers who have lost children. In all of these ways, Mother's Day can be a hard day. And so as much as we do want to rightfully celebrate moms, we also want to make sure that you hear from us that you aren't forgotten today if today is difficult for you. And it's okay to talk through those pains today, too. You, you may have picked up a Mother's Day sheet on your way in. I held it up and told you it was your homework. I do want you to fill that out. And uh, even if you're a grown man, like, fill that out. I, I, maybe you've got a couple to fill out. But I, one of the best ways we can celebrate our moms today is just by affirming who they are and what they've done in our lives. And that is maybe a silly way to do that on that little half sheet that, that we've uh, provided. But man, silly beats nothing. So if you don't have one, grab one on your way out and uh, fill one of those in and, and just hand that off to your, to your mom. We do want to give love to the women in our lives today. Uh, and some of, you, some of you have bought gifts for your mom today uh, to give today. Maybe some of you already handed those off and, and exchanged those gifts I love the stories of people who make it big financially and buy their, buy their family stuff. Like you hear about guys who, we just had the NFL draft, guys who get drafted and go buy their mom's like houses or buy their mom's nice cars. And I apologize to my mom <laughs> who will not have that happen for her. So sorry, mom. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's hard to imagine. I mean, think about how awesome it would be to have your son gift you like a, a Lamborghini or, um, I don't know, a Rolls Royce. Just see some mom flying around in her Lambo. That'd be sweet. It's hard to imagine people spending even like a million dollars on a car. You think about some of those Lamborghinis, some of those Rolls Royces. I mean, it's, it's wild to see how much people will spend on cars. 
But shifting away from mom, thinking about cars here for a little bit, <laughs> for another second. Uh, well, even before I do that, last year, last year, I think this is funny. If, if, if you've started being the church with us uh, in the last 12 months, last year on Mother's Day, I was trying to be really encouraging. And I told moms, like, hey, you know, if you haven't been a great mom up to this point, you can, you can always do better. Let's just say, like, that in my plan didn't come out uh, the way that I really wanted it to, and you might have heard that. I haven't been able to live that down. Like, I, it's just, it's still always, it's pretty regular it comes up. But it's funny because I heard from some of the guys, they're like, we're so used to Father's Day being like, dads do better, dads do better, and Mother's Day being like, look how sweet moms are. Some of the guys are like, good job, Mark. Like, way to go. <laughs> Not making that mistake again. When you buy a million-dollar car, though, for your mom or for yourself, you have a choice to make, right? With your million-dollar car, are you going to park it and think of it as a trophy for, for people to come see, which is really cool. If you've ever been to, like, a car museum or someone who has a collection, it's pretty awesome to go see someone's trophy collection of their cars. You can park this million-dollar car or you can drive it. If you, if you bought a car that was worth a million dollars, you want to see what this thing can do. You're going to use it for what it was made for. You could think of it as a beautiful machine that is meant to be enjoyed. I mean, to hear a million-dollar car's engine rev up, I mean, awesome. Really, it doesn't matter what your choice is. Different guys choose different things. But you know the car was made for a purpose. That, the purpose of a car, it's got tires, it's got an engine in it, it's got a steering wheel. It's like someone made for this to be more than just looked at. They made it so that it could be driven. And... Whatever a guy decides, that's fine, or, or, or a girl decides how they're going to use their million-dollar car, it's fine. But the, the choice is similar to how the church gets to make their choice. Does the church park it or drive it? We've got this really amazing, amazing thing that God has given us in the church. And it's possible to see church as a Sunday morning event that is similar to a trophy where we worship God and enjoy each other's company, and then church gets left there until next time, right? You just visit it. You come see your collection and move on. I think that's parking the church. It's comfortable. It's easy. It's lights on. It's lights off. Or you can see the church as something that's meant to be driven. Hit the gas pedal. Feel the power, right? When we think about the church gathering on Sundays in this driven mindset, it's not just to turn the lights on and turn the lights off. It's, it's to be sent out and to do the work of ministry, of making disciples and doing it with urgency. The nice thing about parking a car is that it takes a lot less work. If you park your car, there's way less maintenance to do to keep the car okay, right? You protect the value of the car to park it. There's a lot of risk and cost associated with driving a car. You've got oil changes, you've got brake work, you've got tires, you've got body damage, you've got car washes. And there's a lot of risk and cost associated with the church being sent to. A sent church won't look shiny and polished and like we have it all together. A sent church will feel persecution A sent church will invest their time and money in making strangers into neighbors, into family. This is the process of hospitality, right? That what hospitality is, is taking people we don't know and saying, hey, someday you're going to be family. Hospitality is costly. A sent church will go. 
The sin church will go individually and also together, which means the heartache of losing proximity to people we love. That's hard. It's hard to, to lose people that you love and, and to lose them to distance. One of my brothers uh, a couple years ago moved to New Jersey, and all my whole family has lived in North Carolina like our whole lives. And I was like, New Jersey, what are you doing? Like, for a hundred reasons. New Jersey, what are you doing? And then recently, one of my, my other brothers moved to Colorado. We were like, Colorado, what are you doing? And legitimately, it's hard. Many of you probably have family who lives in other states and other areas. It's hard not to see your family often. My, my nephews and nieces, my, my children love them. They love their cousins. It's hard to lose the proximity to be able to see them often. Where a car owner, though, gets a choice to park or drive their million-dollar car, the church really has no choice in this matter. The church must drive. The church must be sent. It's as simple as one passage, Matthew 28. Before you long-time Christians sigh and roll your eyes because you know it's coming when we turn to Matthew 28, that we're preaching from the Great Commission today, just know I'm preaching this passage unapologetically. I do not care if you get tired of the Great Commission. I hope that every time we open up to Matthew 28, there is a fresh sense of excitement as we see our commission to follow after Christ to make disciples. We could probably preach this text like once a month and it wouldn't be enough. (laughs) We need to be reminded often and with force that we are sent. And that's what Scripture does. So turn with me there. Matthew 28, we're going to look at verse 18. Matthew 28, verse 18. Some of you may not even need to turn here. You have this memorized, so let's enjoy the scripture together. This is what God's word says. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. As Jesus was sent into this world, so are you sent. Jesus reminds us that he has all authority. It's how he starts this in verse 18. He came to them, these disciples, and he said, look, all authority has been given to me. All that's in heaven and all that's on earth. No power in heaven or on earth could overrule or supersede his command and his authority to go and make disciples. The first call of the Great Commission is to go and make disciples. To go make disciples. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me to what? To tell you to go make disciples. Go make disciples. But what is disciple making? Briefly, disciple making is proclaiming the worth of Jesus. We could dive into this a lot. People write books and books and books. And we preach every week on disciple-making. But basically, it's proclaiming the great worth of Christ to a lost world that we're evangelizing. We're saying, look how beautiful he is. Surrender. Believe. Here he is, the beautiful Jesus. And we proclaim the worth of Jesus to other believers. Look, there's sin in your life. It's not worth it. Look at the worth of Jesus. Look, 
the Bible is worth studying because it shows us the worth of Jesus. Look, memorize scripture because the more you store it in your heart, the more you'll enjoy the worth of Jesus. So we make disciples when we share the gospel. And when we lead believers to treasure Christ more, we're also making disciples. This is an all-encompassing thing that Jesus has given us here. It's an all-encompassing commission for us to help the world treasure Jesus, to hallow his name. When we say we want to be at Provision Church a Christ-centered community driven by the joy of the gospel to make disciples who make disciples, we mean we want to be evangelists. We also mean we want to be mentors for young believers and just for other believers, that we want to say, come along with me as I follow and treasure Jesus. But you can't make disciples without movement. Go make disciples. Go make disciples. There's no disciple making sitting still. You are sent into the world, into your job, into your family, into your school. And as the Holy Spirit goes before us and opens eyes and hearts to the gospel, as he rescues the lost, he adopts them into his church. That's why the Great Commission points us towards the church. When we go and make disciples, what happens? When we, when we go proclaiming the name of Christ, when we go saying, come with us as we treasure Jesus, we do that together. We've already established that God has designed the church, that when you are saved, you are, you, it's not individual. There's no individualistic Christianity that he has called us into the body. We baptize and teach. That's, that's the call. Go make disciples. Go baptize and teach. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. These are the activities of the local church. He's calling here in the Great Commission to go be the church. To command us to baptize and teach is to tell us to go be the church. This is what the local church does. The Great Commission assumes assimilation into local churches. I mean, ask us why we believe in church planting, and we'll tell you what we've been telling you for the last month. Because we love Jesus, because we love his church, and because we want to be obedient to his commands. And here in the Great Commission, we're, we want to be obedient. The example of the New Testament is that when you baptize, you baptize into the church. And there's really an intimate connection between baptism and the local church. After all, you can't baptize yourself, right? It's an activity that takes multiple believers. The early church went out baptizing believers into their number. When, they came, when the Jewish believers came in, into contact with Gentile believers, they and they said, the Holy Spirit is in them. How can we not baptize them? They were baptizing them into the local church. So this baptism is the work of the church. And teaching the word is a, is, is a task for every believer. Every one of us has a responsibility to proclaim the word of Christ. And specifically, it's a task of the church. Specifically, the church is called to teach the word. 
The church in many ways exists to teach the word. I mean, what is discipleship? How do we proclaim the worth of Christ? Well, we proclaim the worth of Christ the way that Christ has told us to proclaim his worth. In his words, in his way. Without scripture, there's no way we could proclaim the worth of Christ because we wouldn't know. <laughs> scripture gives us the understanding of how, how to go into the world proclaiming his glory. We teach the word as the church. How do we honor God? How do we proclaim the gospel? How do we correct sin? And as Paul, in his letter to 2 Timothy, Paul says that Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. This is the work of the church. Teaching is the work of the church. Every healthy church is an engine for Great Commission obedience. What we're doing is churning out obedience to the Great Commission together. We recognize that sometimes it's not easy, that following Christ and making disciples can be laborious and hard. But we say, let's endure together, let's persevere together, let's do this together. We can be obedient because we see our great treasure. So every, every, every healthy church is an engine for Great Commission obedience, and Great Commission obedience is an engine for making healthy churches. It's this kind of circle, you can imagine. That as the church obeys the Great Commission, that those who are saved and obedient to the Great Commission continue to make healthy churches. We can't obey the Great Commission without the local church. So it's a fair conclusion that the Great, Com- Great Commission is a command to plant churches. The Great Commission is a command to plant churches. It's a command for us to be evangelistic. It's a command for us to make disciples. It's a command for us to baptize and to teach. It's a command for us to plant churches. If I tell you to make a garden, if I were to give you a command, make a garden, what does that mean? What does it mean to make a garden? Well, it's fair to think that the only way you could obey that command is if you till the soil, if you plant flowers or vegetables, whatever is in the garden, if there is watering and tending the garden. In this command, what does it look like for us to do what God has called us to? Well, planting churches is how we obey it is one of the ways we have to have healthy churches to obey the Great Commission. We see this in the New Testament. What was the response to new believers in Crete? We just studied through Titus as a church not that long ago. As there were new believers in Crete, Paul sent Timothy to plant the church, to gather the believers together and put them in order. What was the response to new believers in Rome? What was Paul doing there? He was gathering the Christians together, and they became a local church, a local expression of the universal church where they could keep each other accountable, where they could practice church discipline, where they could encourage and teach each other. They planted the church. We sent believers to an area to proclaim the gospel, and they plant the church. This is what we do. We send the believers and they plant the church. It's the pattern of the Great Commission to go and make disciples. The Great Commission is a command to plant churches. And Jesus didn't leave us to this work alone. He accompanies us in this work. And that, that's, that's to me the best news of, the, of, of this passage of, of the Great Commission. That he tells us to go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them but he gives us his authority to do it. It's by his authority. He says, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age.
Go obey me. I'm with you always to the end of the age. It's by his authority, yes. And it's in his presence that we go make disciples, teaching and baptizing them, planting churches. We go as his ambassadors, and even more, we go with him. We go in his power. We go in the power of Jesus. So we, we, we go make disciples. We go be the church, and we go in the power of Jesus, in the presence of Jesus, which makes perfect sense. Doesn't it make perfect sense? I mean, after all, who builds the church? Who said he would build the church? Jesus said he was going to build his church. He doesn't need us to build his church. He chooses us. He allows us. He, he gives us the opportunity to participate in his work of building the church. So why would we not go in the power of Jesus? Trying to make disciples outside of the power of Jesus is useless and a waste of time. It's only when we depend on the Holy Spirit, depend on the work of Christ in our lives, that we can be obedient to his commission to us to make disciples, to go. If Jesus is building his church, then our investment in making disciples is the best investment we can make with our lives. The work of building the church has been guaranteed, and not by your effort or knowledge or skill. It's been guaranteed by the word of God. Why not give your life to something that will win? Church planting, then, is also one of the best investments we can make as a church, as we send out disciple makers. Really, what church planting is, is it's the multiplication of making disciples. That if we believe God's put provision church here to make disciples, that when we set up another church, when we say, hey, go, go here, that what we're saying is this is another location where we have people committed to making disciples. It's the multiplication, multiplication of disciple making. So planting in Union County where we have a church building on every road or planting in Vermont where they may have whole towns without a church. It's a good thing. It's worthwhile because making disciples is worthwhile because the work of the church is worthwhile. We could never have enough churches focused on this task of making disciples because obedience is worthwhile because we are sent. Provision, we are sent and we are sending. We believe in sending ourselves God has sent us, so we send ourselves. And today we're taking the next step in sending ourselves. God has blessed us in this context of a rural college area. What we've seen is the need for healthy churches in other rural college areas. We look back on just our history as a church. I mean, we've been around for about three and a half years now. And God's goodness, his providence and kindness and generosity to us has just been uh, something for us to marvel at, that we get to, so many times have we looked and pointed and said, man, God, you are so good to us. <laughs> like, thank you. I, I, I think about our first meeting, we were talking this week about our first meeting when we met at Unionville Elementary School, and we were, where were we going to meet at? And just, it came through that we had this opportunity to meet at the elementary school, and they were so kind to us there. 
above and beyond what we could have asked for. That, that we had uh, people to, to plant with from day one that were with us. That we had a mission field at Wingate University that was receptive. Man, I can't tell you the stories of God's kindness to us and the favor we've seen on that university's campus. We, just, we can look around and say, look at what God has done. We're so excited for the future of being able to partner and plant these churches that are going to look around and say, look what God has done. And their story is going to start with this, this church in, in where, where are we even right now? Like that, that meets in Fairview, but uh, that is going to build someday not in Fairview. This church that was three and a half years old said, hey, we're going to send out a group to plant. We asked you to pray for our planter and our planting location in December in, our, in a members meeting. We, we said, hey, this is something we're aiming for, and we would like for you to be praying. And I really, really, really believe that God has made both of those pieces clear for us. That as we've uh, prayed through this and sought wisdom and counsel, that both our planter and the location are just absolutely pieces that God put together. So I'm excited to announce that we'll be sending Ryan Smith and his family to Elon in 2023. So next year, we're, we're excited to be sending them to Elon. It, it matches our, our vision and hope as a church that we might be able to reach other smaller rural campuses, uh, both in our state and around the country and across the world. So Elon fits that mold, um, and I'm going to let Ryan share more about that before he does We've talked a lot, uh, him and I and uh, our elders, about leaving well and sending well. Leaving well and sending well. So Brian said, Look, I, I want to leave well. It's really important to me that I leave well. And as a church, it should be really important to us that we send well. And what does it mean for Ryan to leave well? Well, we've been planning for the day when we might plant churches from uh, early on. And that was part of our conversation with Ryan when I first brought him in. Ryan's title is College and Mobilization Pastor. And we weren't sure how all of this would play out, but we knew that if we were going to plant churches, we needed to be developing leaders. So a key piece of Ryan's title, mobilization, has been played out through our residency program. And church, I, I, I feel like I brag on this a lot. I don't know if you feel like I brag on this a lot, but I really, really, really love what God is doing in our residency program. This year, we have three young men who are in that residency program. Next year, we'll have three more people coming into our residency program. And, and that residency has really allowed us to be at this stage where we can say, Ryan can leave well. So Ryan is, uh, has helped develop our college ministry. He'll share even a little more, I think, on that in a second. But um, right now we have two college residents and a family ministry resident. And in the fall, we'll have two more college residents and a kids ministry resident. So we'll have six residents total, four residents specifically focused on college ministry. So it's, it's possible that you would think, well, if Ryan's going, look what God's doing at Wingate. How would we, why would we send our college pastor if God's doing great things on Wingate? Well, we really believe that uh, God is doing those things not just because of Ryan. <laughs> uh, and we also believe that Ryan's done a really good job of creating processes where it's not about him, that, that it is something where the processes are in place that he can leave and leave it in good shape. So as we transition, I think even this year we've seen um, we have really Cole 
and Quinn are, are two wonderful college residents that we have, and we've been really blessed by them on campus. And over this past semester, uh, Cole started taking a little more of the college director responsibilities. And so that's something that he'll take on uh, even more now as Ryan transitions out. Uh, in the, really, in the summer, Ryan will transition some out of college ministry, and that Cole will take a good bit of that leadership. I just don't want to get ahead of Ryan here because I know he's going to share some of that, but I, I just really am grateful for the work that Cole and Quinn do on that campus. Uh, it's, it's so impactful. And then as we have uh, multiple students coming on, as we have Ashanti and Daniel coming on with our college next year, we'll have four full-time staff next year uh, serving that college campus. So he's leaving well. He's created the processes to leave well. In church, we want to send well also. And what that looks like to send well is to be prayerful. We want, we want to be a church that prays over this plant like crazy. That We just want to be always prayerful for this. But we also want to send him with a model. I really believe that what God is doing at Provision is, is awesome. I, I tell people all the time, it's just so fun what God's doing here. And so we want to send him with this model. We want to send him with resources. And we want to send him with people. Those things are things that we hope to be developing and putting together over the next year. So Ryan, the hope is that we'll be sending him out in May of 2023 in that kind of time frame. So as we're announcing that, it's not like next week Ryan's gone. So that's good news. Uh, but as a church, we'll take time to process this together and send him out in a really healthy way so that we can send well. But I, I do want to give you a chance to hear from Ryan. And even before I do, I want to show you this video that I think will put a little more of what we're talking about into reality. Uh, let's, let's watch that video together. In 1889, Elon University was founded as a Christian institution with 76 students enrolled. 133 years later, 7,000 students attend, and roughly 98% of them are unsaved. Our heart is to change that. In the fall of 2023, Provision Church will send me, my family, and a core team to plant a church with the hopes of bringing the truth to Elon, Burlington, and Gibsonville, North Carolina. Alamance County is currently the sixth fastest growing county in the state of North Carolina and the fastest growing county in the Triad region. But while the population is exploding, the church is declining. According to SBC data, nine out of ten churches in the Elon area are either plateaued or declining. The decline of the church, the growth in population, and an unreached university all make this location an ideal one. However, what makes it unique is that the largest people group on the campus of Elon are from the Northeast, which we know to be one of the least religious groups in the nation. The Northeast once pioneered biblical Christianity in our nation, yet over the past 100 years, it has been in major spiritual decline. Most believe the foundational reason for this was the introduction of false gospels into colleges and universities. Less wind than back. We recognize this is tough soil to plow, but as Genesis 18:14 says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And while the university provides a distinct mission field, we believe the church is to be intergenerational, made up of all kinds of age groups and people. Jesus is the hope for the world. And as the church, we bring that hope. How will they hear if we don't tell them? We are a Christ-centered community driven by the joy of the gospel who make disciples who make disciples. Nothing like uh, watching yourself on video and coming up and talking. <laughs> <about it. laughs> 
Also, I haven't cried. The last, I think, three sermons I've preached, I haven't cried. So if I cry today, y'all cut me some slack. Um, so in August 16th of 2020, I, I preached my first sermon here. And it was titled Defying the Odds. And it was in the middle of COVID. And we had a staff of four and a, I think it was four, staff of four and a few college students here. Um, and our hope was to start a ministry residency in January of 2022, which was this past year, which we started it in, in June of 2021. So the odds were, were stacked against us as a uh, church. And deep down, I, n- I would never have, ad- never have admitted this, but uh, I wondered if it was going to work. <laughs> I would have told you it was, but uh, deep down there were moments of weakness. And I wondered, is this going to work and what's going to happen in a couple years here? But I was convinced of the vision and the mission, and this, this mission was really Mark's. Mark called me uh, before I accepted the position to come here, talking about smaller, unreached private colleges in rural towns, as he mentioned. And in addition to that, we, we see it's not just about the colleges, as you saw in the video, it's about intergenerational ministry. It's about everybody in this room, from kids to seniors. And we see little of that as well, very, very little of that. Our heart from day one has been Romans fifteen twenty to pioneer uh, unreached territory, as Paul did in Romans 15. Almost two years later, though, we have a college ministry that averaged close to 70 students this past year. There we go, I'm going to cry. Many of those students are serving the church. And by August uh, of this year, as Mark mentioned, we'll have 10 staff members. I mean, just incredible what God is doing here, and it has been uh, just humbling and amazing to be part of it. So I, I want to thank you, Provision. And I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. Um, I told Mark this wouldn't, this would be 10 minutes. This might go 20 minutes at this rate. <laughs> you know, there were many people in this room and some people that aren't here today that were laying the groundwork well before I got here. And, and they were praying for what is currently happening. And, and so I would say with, without, without that, a campus and a town that doesn't have the gospel uh, would not get the gospel. It, it wouldn't be reached. So my, my purpose in saying that, I say thank you, church, because this is not Ryan and Megan's church plant. This is Provision's church plant, and it's ultimately God's. We know that. And so by God's grace, we, have, we as a church have defied those odds. Mark mentioned Cole, and, and Cole is ready. I've been laboring with Cole for a few years now, and all the way back from Greensboro, and I, and I love him dearly, and I'm thankful for him. And I think the greatest affirmation for my call to go, to go was Cole's call to stay. I mean, that, that was just my, my biggest prayer. Um, I'm kind of getting off track here, but students, I, I love you with all my heart. I had, I need to stop being sappy, and I wouldn't cry. Um, I love you. I love you guys a lot, and I care deeply for you. And again, I'm not leaving, uh, <laughs> and I'll be around. Um, but I, I desire to have uh, people in place to love you well, and I know Cole does that well. And so, as Mark mentioned, he will uh, take on a, a greater role. So you're in good hands. And I would say Ryan's not the college ministry. Ryan never was the college ministry. Ryan never will be the college ministry. It's God's ministry.
But for those students, I'm going to challenge you students that are here. It's time for you to step up, and it's time for you to lead well. We said all throughout Scripture, it's always next man up mentality. And I would say for those that are graduating next year, you've got to get a job somewhere. So why not get it where God is doing something strategic for his mission? Maybe like Elon. I'll be honest, though, guys, and I'm serious here. Uh, Elon, Elon seems impossible. It, just, it doesn't seem possible. The question is, how, how in the world will we get young northern college students to be a part of a church with older southern non-college students? <laughs> uh, you saw that in the video, and I wish I could speak more to some of this, but um, they're, I guess, trusted missiologists, people that study missions, respectable missiologists that would, would argue and say that the, the, nor, the northeast is an unreached people group at this point. And on the campus of Elon University, roughly 40%, so the largest people group on their campus is from the north. And so easily, easily 6,500 students, is a campus of 7,000, easily 6,500 students um, on that campus don't know Jesus. And at this rate, they currently have no chance to know Jesus because no one's going to tell them. So we need a team. We need a team to go. The gospel is powerful, and the gospel unites. We've seen that here. It's a blue-collar town with a university, and here we have it. Students in life groups, students serving in the church, you guys pouring into students. It's been amazing. It's been a blessing. My text on that day, August 16th of 2020, the first sermon, my text in August was 1 Samuel 14. And this was Jonathan and his armor-bearer taking on an entire Philistine garrison. So it was two men taking on an entire army which obviously seemed impossible. And in fact, there was no promise by the Lord that they were, he was going to deliver them. They just felt that it was the right thing to do. It seemed impossible. And I love verse 6. Verse 6 in 1 Samuel chapter 14, Jonathan looks at his armor bearer, and he says, Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. I've always found that verse a little, little funny, the perhaps There's no guarantee they'd even win. Perhaps God will help us. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. So there's no guarantees. I'm not going to come up here and say we're going to reach Elon University. I I can't promise that. God has given me no promise of that. But I guess my thought is perhaps God will fight for us there as he's fought for us here. I mean, we've seen numbers don't matter to God. They don't matter to God. I think of Gideon's army stripped down to 300 people in, in Judges chapter 7. And, and why is that? Why did God strip that army down? He wanted the odds so stacked against them that the victory would clearly be God's. So the, the odds are absolutely stacked against us. And I don't know what will happen in, in a year or two. I have no idea. But as Genesis 18.14 says, is anything too hard for the Lord? So it's been said that risking for God is dangerous, but not risking is more dangerous. Risking for God, this is risky. Risking for God is dangerous, but not risking is even more dangerous. I would say the mission is worth it, church, and I found that to be true here. So we're praying for five families and a couple college students that are willing to go with us. So I'm asking you to pray. Again, you're going to hear more details as things go, go on. And I'm sure you're going to have some questions. 
and Mark's going to answer some of those. Um, and we've got a prospectus that's uh, some detail, more details uh, after you, when you leave in the lobby on the table. Um, but church, I love you, and I'm thankful for you, and it's been a blessing serving with you, and I look forward to serving with you, not even for another year, but many more years as we partner together um, in the future. So thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah. Very excited. Very excited about this possibility and what God's going to do. And I, I hope you are encouraged, like I'm encouraged when I hear Ryan talk about what he believes God's leading him towards at Elon. There's a couple things I wonder if you're wondering. Uh, I, I wonder if you're wondering, are we ready? Look, Mark, you just said we're like three and a half years old. Are we ready? And I would say, yes, we're ready. Uh, one of the, the major, maybe the only major qualification of is your church ready to plant a church is, do you have a qualified leader? Do you have a qualified elder who can go and put things in order? And I think Ryan is that. And so we're, we're not huge. Like we're not, we don't have a pool of a thousand people to send from, and we're not perfect. We have a lot of things that we're still trying to get right, and we always will be. But we don't have to be huge or perfect to follow God in what he's doing to reach the lost. So we're really grateful that we, I think we can say we are ready. And you might say, but Mark, we don't even have a building. I mean, how are we going to plant a church if we don't even have a building for ourselves? And I would say, man, I have more to say to you on that. Uh, I won't say it all right now, but we are actively working for that building. Uh, I will say uh, this won't affect any of the funding or timing. Like this has nothing to do with slowing down or speeding up or resources for the building itself. So it's not one affecting the other. Yes, we can plant a church even as we meet in another church's facility. We're really grateful for that. And you might say, but Mark, you already said we're not a church of a thousand. What if this costs us too much in people? Like, can we spare the people? What if we lose too many people? Can we lose too many people? And I would say, no, we cannot lose too many people. And I, just, just from the place of trusting in God, I would say, look at, just already look at the residency. Look at what God's doing in providing leadership there. But then as a church, uh, we recognize that uh, Elon is two hours away. So it may not be that all of you go. <laughs> and I, I would imagine that not all of you will go. We're praying that even some of you would be willing. And we think that as many of you go, Man, what a blessing for our church that we might be in the presence of people who would give up everything they currently have in this location to go serve God there. So we're not worried about losing too many. And then you might also ask, and this is just one of many. I think there's a hundred questions you might have. We would be glad to answer all of them. You might say, but Mark, how will this work financially? There's a lot of questions that are kind of on that detail line that we don't have answers for yet. It's just part of the process. So part of the process right now is, we told you guys in December, hey, be, please be praying for these things. Well, now we're just updating you. We think God's given us answers here, and we think this is a, an accurate timeline for how we could send. There's still a lot of questions that we're answering and researching, and our state Baptist convention is very helpful in all of those things, and so are those who have gone before us in church planting. But we don't have all the answers for that, but we do believe that God will provide. Um, here's what I want to do for a few minutes. It's, a, it's 11.03. We normally try to get you guys out of here at 11.15. So right now I'm like uh, debating in my mind where we go with this, but I, I think this is right. I think let's do this and we'll spend our time here. Uh, we, we do something here that I've started lovingly calling awkward prayer circles. And we were joking, <laughs> we were joking before the service that we should just start calling it the APCs. Like we're going we're gonna to get together and do our APCs here. 
but we really believe as a church that God has called us to pray together as a congregation, that prayer is not just something we do in the service so that you close your eyes and I can get on stage, but that prayer really, really is a way that we appeal to God together. So I want to spend just a few minutes uh, and, and praying together. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you in a, a few questions, and I'm going to try to keep this very short. So in your group, just uh, pray over this together. What I'd like for you to do is, um, where you can, try to gather in some groups together. Find people who are not in a group and pull them in. Um, aim for groups of between, I don't know, five, five and eight, five and ten, something along those lines. And it's going to be awkward at first. That's why we call them awkward prayer circles. It's going to be awkward to find this uh, at first, but we want to encourage you to do that. And hopefully, if you've been at Provision for a while and you've experienced this, you'll help lead the way in making this as uh, the least awkward as possible. So let's do that. Let's go ahead and find some people that you might be able to sit and pray with, and I'll give you things that we can pray together for. to pray with me about is for the location. Ask God to move in Burlington, Elon, and Gibsonville. Those are kind of the three areas that are right here at Elon University that we believe God will send us into to make disciples. So ask that God would go before us, that he would already, even today, begin working in the lives of people in those areas. Would you do that with me? Would you pray that God would move in Burlington, Elon, and Gibsonville? Someone in your group, just volunteer and pray out loud for the whole group. you to begin praying for would be the Smith family as they are leading the charge in this for our church. Would you pray for the Smith family that God would bless them and give them all they need?
the, the last thing I'd like to ask you to be praying for would be for God to call out a core team. Ryan and I are specifically praying for five families, but would you pray that God would send who is needed? That is the main thing, that God would send who he desires. God would call out a core team. Father, I know that there's no square inch of this earth that you are not Lord over. So God, we ask that you would go before us in Elon, that you would take that area for yourself. God, that there would be a revival that begins there and spreads in North Carolina, even as those students go home to the Northeast, God, that you would work, that you would do the things that we cannot see so that um, people would be saved and so there would be fruit in our work. God, we trust you for these things. We thank you for the Smith family who is willing to step out in faith and lead the way in this task. God, you give them much joy in their preparation and in their going. God, we ask that they wouldn't go alone. God, we ask for a core team that would come out of our church. God, that you would pull people from our congregation who would hear your call too strongly to ignore, but not just from our church, God, but we also pray for partner churches who will come along and send people as well. We ask for you to provide. We know that you can. We thank you for the way that you love us, the way that you care for us, the way that you know exactly what we need. So we ask for those things. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You're welcome to shift back to your seats or stay where you are. I do want to say that this week is the next day of our Live Sent initiative. We introduced this last month that it's 30-20-10. So on the 10th day of every month, we ask you to spend 30 minutes in prayer and give $20 to our Live Sent Fund, which is a missional fund. We use it for missions. I'd love for you, that's Tuesday this week, May 10th is the 10th day. So on Tuesday this week, I'd, I'd love for you to spend a significant portion of your time in prayer praying for these three requests, that God would go before us in Elon, that he would bless the Smith family, and that he would call out a core team. Would you commit with me to do that on Tuesday? 30 minutes can seem like a long time to be in prayer if you're, if you're not used to praying that way. But I'd really challenge you to take us up on that and to join us in praying on Tuesday. It's appropriate that we take this next step in our planting process on Mother's Day. I think about how Paul talks about the Thessalonians. He tells them, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. <laughs> I think it's right for us to, on Mother's Day, think about how churches, healthy churches, mother other churches. Like, there, we will have a child church to care for soon that we will love and take care of and nurture and who will then also love and take care of and nurture us in return. He says, I was like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. 
So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you'd become very dear to us. This is what happens when we love each other in the unity of the gospel. We become dear to each other. We're going to send them out as an autonomous church, but we're going to stay connected. We're going to work together. We're going to be partners in the gospel. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus and you're like, why are you talking about church planting? What do you mean you're going to leave this, like where you live to go plant another church? Like that seems crazy. It is, but it's not as crazy as what Jesus did for us to give us life. I just want you to know if you're here and you're not a Christian or if you're like, I don't understand church planting or I don't understand your church, this is what makes it all true for us. This is why we do what we do is because we were dead in our sin. We had a future of death ahead of us. We call that hell. And Jesus loved us enough to step down from heaven, to take our place on the cross, to take our consequences on his shoulder and to give us life. He defeated death when he rose from the grave because of what he did, he said, you don't have to do the work. Believe that our salvation is not a salvation of works or achievement or effort. It's a salvation by grace through faith. That we get to receive what Christ has done. We think this gift is too incredible for us. <laughs> and so, God, we, we, we say to God, God, we want to follow you. Whatever you say, whatever you ask. That's why we're doing this. That's why we're planning a church. Because we say, God, whatever you say, whatever you ask. And I wonder if you've been living apart from God and knowing you need saving, and if maybe today is the day you say, God, whatever you say, whatever you ask. Maybe today is the day that you give your life to Christ, that you believe that it was because of his death and resurrection that you could be saved. But we're gonna sing together. We're gonna sing another song, worshiping our, our king and our savior. And I'm gonna be at the back. And I would say, if, if you wanna ask questions about following after Christ, doing whatever he says, whatever he asks, being obedient, I'd love to talk with you. Would you stand with me now? Let's keep singing and worshiping.